Hey everyone, what's going on? Demi Grania here. This week we've got another special guest, Susie from Dead Witches. And she's going to be joining us for a little conversation as usual on the podcast. Now, I would like to advise you guys that this was recorded using her phone. And I think this is super interesting because basically we were doing a conversation for the podcast as she was crossing London. I mean... If there's a pinnacle of evolution, then it has to be it, right? I mean, we were recording a podcast as someone was going through one of the major cities of the world. I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoy, and here we go with Susie from Dead Witches. Welcome to the Grinders Verdict Podcast. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Demi Grinder, and today I'm joined by a singer of the Black Arts. She summons the abyss and exercises demons with her voice, with the help of her bandmates that provide her with necessary vibrations to be understood by the evil forces. Susie is the singer and she joined me for a talk about her work as a vocalist and some general conversation as per usual. So welcome Susie, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Obviously, you're the vocalist of Dead Witches and Satlan. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Satlan, yeah. Satlan, all right. And uh, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, um, so as you know, yes, vocalist of uh, Dead Witches and Satlan. Satlan is the band that I started myself over four years ago um, with Roy on guitar. And then Alex joined us later on bass. And now we have James on drum. Um, I've been singing for a long time, uh, since I could talk really, so I'm like nearly 32 now, <laughs> so, so I'm singing for many years. Uh, I, you know, I've been active in the metal scene since I was a teenager. My dad is a drummer, so he got me into like heavy music from a young age. I was like raised on, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal and all the American thrash uh, artists as well. Uh, Metallica was the main one for my dad, still is. Um, and yeah, I don't think it really left me. Like I found my own way with music when I was 13, 14. I had to go via, you know, American punk rock to find my way to metal, which was then sort of more reintroduced to me, like through like Slipknot and such. And then I sort of got into heavier stuff and listened to a lot of like technical death metal and stuff like that when I was younger. But Doom is something that, honestly, you know, uh, the world of Doom has definitely descended on me. Um, in the last kind of 10 years, but more actively in the last sort of eight, uh, where I kind of like, you know, obviously deviated to really heavy stuff and then progressive stuff and then kind of came back to sort of basics almost. Uh, so that's me musically. Um, I also um, work as a, a healthcare professional. So I work in mental health um, and I was kind of, you know, attracted to that because of my own sort of issues with mental health in the past, which I've really worked on and. I'm doing really well now, but uh, yeah, I love working in mental health, and it's my other main passion after music. But yeah, that's me. <laughs> Thank you so much. So that's great to hear that you're doing good. Um, so you. basically, I listened to that, which is your last record, and yeah, doing for me, it has to be evil. I don't know what it is. It just has to sound evil. I can't take it if it sounds not evil. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Melvins, for example, it's a band that they're great, but it just doesn't sound that evil to me. And I mean, to me, to me, Melvins, I love Melvins. I think they sound really evil, but I think they're a different kind of evil. They were weird evil, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they're avant-garde evil. Record, I don't know what it is, but I listened to it and I was like, "Wow, this is so evil!" And it was, uh, <laughs> I think it, I, I was brought there by Spotify. From the related artists, because I was listening, I was listening to 1849 or something like that. Uh, oh, 1349. Yes, 1349, exactly. And there, there was that witches, and I was like, "Wait, this is uh, she's on my Facebook list." Oh, oh, <laughs> there it is. So yeah, Funny. I was really impressed with the record, and it's really, really good. So thank you. What? What made you lean towards psychedelic doom? Was it because of the mental stuff, or was it something else? Or um, is it because... No. 
actually, like when in, in my early twenties, I used to go to open mic nights with my dad because he used to encourage me to sing, and I used to shit myself. I'm oh, sorry. Um, so I, I used to you'd be really nervous, and I would drink like a shot of whiskey before even singing. And I was 21, and I was in a local bar, and my dad knew, knew all the regulars, and he got up on the drums. It was an open mic night, and I sang something, and someone said, "You sound like Janis Joplin." And I was like, oh, I know, I know her, but I don't really know her, like, you know, I don't really know her music, I have her catalogue. And from then, I kind of explored, you know, uh, you know, yeah, massively, like, um, Janis Joplin and that world, and that, that's where the psychedelic side comes from, where um, I then opened up a can of worms, like, it, was, it led me to Shocking Blue and uh, Jackson Airplane, and, like, some incredible, incredible female vocalists in the late 1960s like psychedelic kind of like movement of music and uh, that was where I come from really uh, it's always been well it's been there since my as I say since I was 21 and I was told about Maggie Bell as well who's less psychedelic but still in the same kind of area area so that's where the psychedelic come from for me and then you know being in doom being in the world of doom just made complete sense in terms of like being inspired by the likes of like really soulful bluesy kind of vocalists and bringing that in terms of melody and then combining it with evil elements because you know, into horror and stuff like that. But then also the psychedelic side of it. Yeah, that was more from my love of late later love of like yeah, like late 1960s music. So yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned you took a shot of whiskey before going on stage. That's funny. Uh, because as as I mentioned to you before starting the recording, I'd also have anxiety. I have social anxiety. And uh. I, I was also a vocalist for uh, from 2008 to 2012, and I couldn't go on stage without being drunk. Not drunk right. as in like completely wasted and, and I trip over something and I fall and I make a, a complete image, you know, I, I play a fool, but drunk as in I'm confident now, the, the, the literal liquid courage. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have to drink anymore. Like, when I started my band, Sablan, I, 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 had, I had passed the need for alcohol. I felt I feel the most comfortable on stage. But I do, I do really, uh, like, you know, my issues with anxiety in the past have never been related to, no, no longer related to my music performance. Like, since starting my band four years ago, I'd already gotten rid of that. The anxiety was more, it come from other places. I call it existential anxiety. It's really crippling, but I don't really get it that much anymore. So, uh, as I say, like, the stage fright uh, performance anxiety was not a thing uh, after sort of, you know, once I'd reached the age of kind of 27 when I started my band. Uh, but when I was 21, for sure, it was it was a thing. But, yeah, I do, I do really empathize with people who have to sort of get a bit drunk, you know, before performing, because it must be pretty... Yeah. I, I know I, I take a professional stance now. I very, very rarely drink a drop of alcohol before I perform. If I do, it's not really for courage. It's just because I want to. <laughs> so, you know. So, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's great. Because, yeah, I played the first show ever in my life sober. And yeah. we recorded it. And when I watched it, I was like, please, uh, stop it. I don't want to watch it anymore. Because I was like, a, oh, no. I was a scarecrow on stage, a literal scarecrow who could growl and sound like he was, you know, being possessed by 10,000 demons. But it, 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 it was just so shameful to, to see myself on top of the stage without being able to like, you know, when you see those guys with a lot of energy and stuff. And when I see a performance on YouTube by you, that's kind of like the vibe I get. It's like you're all over yeah. the place and you're feeling it and you're getting sort of like immersed in, in, in the in the lyrics and, and everything and that that's what I that's what I think is the good thing because when you're on stage you need to provide to also get back. You know, when you're a scarecrow, yeah. people are gonna be like, uh, okay, wow, they play good, nice. But yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like enjoying it and moshing and stuff. So yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Like what do you think Sort of is the what do you like the the vibe that you need to provide on stage? I think that it's down to uh, energy. So the energy that you put out is what you will inevitably get back. So um, I'm a vocalist and I don't have an instrument. I play instruments, but I don't because I choose 
to have the freedom of movement on stage and I'm inspired by the likes of Ben Danzig and Iggy Pop when it comes to how they dominate a stage with their energy and their movement. So I think that using physical movement as well as facial expressions and connecting to the audience and really feeling what you're singing but also feeling what you're singing through everything, every morsel of your body is really important because, um, you know, the, instru the instruments being played by the musicians that are playing them they have their instruments and they, they do what they can. What they do, they, and they really do own the stage. Like Ollie has an amazing stage presence. So does Carl. So does Mark. They all do. But my job, I believe, is my job. So I'm not. I'm, I'm a conductor. I'm a conductor of the crowd, um, not the band, but, but in a way, of the band as well. But you know, you you are in charge of uh, their kind of enjoyment. And if you're just standing static on stage, they're not gonna, you know. I don't think they're going to enjoy it as much, but if they, if they can see that you're having fun, they're going to have fun. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's an animalistic thing. You, you, you just reflect what you see a lot of the time as well. So it's an energy, put output of energy and you, you know, and a conjuring of energy, a conjuring of, uh, yeah, vibe, attitude, and happiness and enjoyment. So you're the conjurer, maybe not conductor, but you're, I feel like a conjurer <laughs> on stage. So did you did you by any chance sing anything other than like doom and psychedelic doom and, and stuff like that? Did you sing? Uh, yeah, I used to. Um, I, I started a band called Susie Q and the Dirtbags, uh, which we did we did grunge and alternative. But it was we started off with covers and we were meant to move over to uh, originals, but they they enjoyed making money and I didn't want to do that. So band disbanded and then I started a blues band like classic and modern blues called Cusp. We didn't really do anything because they also wanted to stick with their covers. So I yeah, so I did blues, I did grunge and alternative. Um, before that I would mostly just do poppy covers but like didn't really want to but you know that was my beginnings as a band member, as a vocalist band, grunge, alternative, blues. And then Doom seemed like the natural progression because I was really getting into it. You know, I went to the Desert Fest and I was inspired and I was like, oh, okay, so like, this is what I can do like, with my melodic, soulful blues voice. I can put it to heavy music and, you know, a la, you know, um, Ozzy Osbourne or, you know, use my Janis Joplin-esque kind of ways to kind of, you know, channel that and like put it to really heavy music that I really enjoy. So I'm really, I feel really lucky that I'm now, you know, part of two bands. Uh, within which or who produce um, music that I love and I like listening to as well as I like, as well as uh, I enjoy performing it but also I feel like I'm bringing the best of my vocal skills to create music that I also enjoy listening to which is really the dream really <laughs> absolutely so that's that's kind of an interesting transition because you went from blues and, and, and doom which sort of relate to each other like a lot right yeah, massively, yeah. Exactly. That's why it was like a natural progression, you know. Absolutely. Um, so, basically, what... So, Dead Witches, and uh, it's, it's it's your oldest Doom band, right? Or is uh, Sadlan your, your oldest? Sadlan is my older, so... Uh, Dead Witches actually started in 2016 with uh, Virginia Monti, uh on vocals, but she left to concentrate on psychedelic witchcraft in 2018, and then, um, was it 18? Hang on, sorry, 17. And then I stepped in, end of 2017, uh, as the replacement vocalist, and I'm, I've really enjoyed what we've created, but Sadlan was my baby, it's my thing. I put the adverts out, I had the dream, I knew what I wanted to do with it, and it's become exactly what I wanted it to be, so, uh, yeah, so we're doing pretty well. I like what we're doing, and we're, yeah, we're doing all right. <laughs> So, okay, so basically, Satlan is your baby, which I haven't heard. Do you guys have stuff on Spotify? No, not yet. We're recording. We're actually going into the studio at the end of June. Uh, we had to wait until we had a drummer that was suitable. Uh, and so we've now got him in the shape of James Lowe. He's the drummer of a band called The Bleeding, which is a technical thrash metal band. He's incredible. He uh, can play at like 200 BPM, but he like slows it right down for us. He's got the technical prowess and skill and stage presence to really handle our music really, really beautifully. So uh, we had to wait until with that, he's our fourth drummer in four years. So we had to sort of wait until we had the right lineup, and we really do have that now in the shape of Roy on the guitar and Alex, who's a multi-instrumentalist, 
musical genius on bass and yeah, James on drums. So it's really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, we're really looking forward to going into the studio. Uh, we're going to smash it out in two days. Uh, and um, then we have a manager who's interested in representing us. So we're going to then take our finished product to him and he's going to look for a deal for us. And that's, that's, that's the plan. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Anybody listening to this, if you like Doom and Psychedelic Doom, there you have it. Satland yeah. about to come out. So... yeah. Tell me a little bit about the the scene in England, because I lived in England for like six months, but I never had a chance of going into the underground and stuff. I always stood in the surface because I was kind of looking for a job, and then I went working for Portuguese people, and I'm Portuguese myself, and so I know it doesn't sound like I'm Portuguese. A lot of people in English yeah. asked if I was American, and that's okay. Oh uh, no, but you learn American English when you're in Portugal. Yeah, That's actually no, it's, it's the most usual sort of like connotation to English, however, yeah. we do learn British English, the teachers do teach oh. us British English, um, but it's, it's okay. you know, American English is everywhere, so you learn American English a lot easier than, um, yeah. and it's like if you guys wanted to learn Portuguese, I guarantee you would very much learn Brazilian Portuguese faster than... Uh, oh. Our Portuguese because it's easier as well. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't uh, know that. Right, yeah, but tell me a little bit about how the underground is there in Britain because obviously you know here it's it's our culture is super weak. So uh, in in Britain it's just so rich in in culture and arts. So uh, how is it over there? I love it. I think uh, you know we've got our own sort of scene in London that is very very strongly connected to the scene in Birmingham, Manchester. Uh, even, you know, Bristol and uh, other sort of main cities and also Ireland, you know, that which is toured with Elder Druid here from Belfast and we have strong ties over there now because of touring. But, um, you know, the scene in Manchester is, is so great. You've got uh, uh, Andrew Field, Fieldy, APF Records, who's signed a bunch of, like, his favorite bands. And he's really, really, he's, he's doing great things for the scene. Uh, he's really supporting it um, by, you know, as I say, pumping time, energy, money into the bands that he loves, and um, it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, so you've got that in Manchester. In London, you've got people, even Brighton as well, you've got people like uh, Ollie of, of Red Witches, you know. He um, used to do promotions himself uh, in Brighton, and now he's doing it in London, and you've got people like Old Empire, of, uh, well, Old Empire which is Matt, who's in Ollie's other band, Grave Lions, he does amazing stuff, um, you know, in London as well, and beyond, uh, he's doing really well, and uh, you've got other, like, you know, amazing promoters, you've also got Reading, uh, so Bones, uh, who's of Molasses, um, a really cool, like, stonery, uh, really cool bluesy stonery, they run a regular night in Reading, called The Swamp, um, you've got lots of regular nights, you've got a band called Butcher and Sorry. Uh, you've got a band called Butcher in the Fog who are doing great things. Sorry, one second, I just I'm having a problem. Sorry, if you can just I've got a ticket if you still going through it. Oh crap, of course it is. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm getting a train out of London right now. Um, right. It's all yeah, good. This so is a Brenner's which... verdict. It's not uh, anything for, you know. That's cool. Yeah, so you've got you've got Yanni of Butcher in the Fog, who's just uh, in a couple of weeks he's putting on Fog Fest. Uh, so it's their, their little three day festival at the Black Heart. You've got like you know support, and supporting all of these people like the you've got Mick Wood as well, who's Monster Entertainment. He's been doing it for very long in the tooth now. He's been doing it for years. He supports the scene really well. We're actually co co promoting a gig in a couple of weeks' time, seventh of June. Seventh of June is also when Fog Fest kicks off at the Black Heart. So yeah, as well as all of these people, promoters, label owners, and musicians, uh, we're supported by some fantastic venues as well, like the Blackheart, like the Unicorn, um, like the Underworld, and we've got um, Big Red as well, who do free shows for everyone to enjoy. And, you know, we've got, you know, even though it's under threat, we've got, like, you know, um, a great support network in the shape of people who really do care about the scene. So we're really lucky in London, and then also spreads out to Manchester. But you know, I go up to Manchester, or I'll go to Bristol, I go to shows all over the country, uh, just to 
support, also show my face so that I make good connections with like musicians and promoters alike uh, for future. Uh, it's not always like you know calculated. It's because I really do love the music, so I'll go and support everyone all over. But yeah, it's a really, as you say, it is a rich scene. It is very, it is very supportive, and it's really encouraging. And there's you know there's not an extreme sense of like competition. It's everyone supporting each other. We're not all out for ourselves. Oh. Uh, so you know that also makes it a really tight knit community. So yeah, it's nice. I think Doom in particular. Got, that is a know. huge difference from here because uh, here it's a massive competition. It's yeah, like no, it's not really like this at all. We support each other. So you know, Elder Druid, as you say, we toured with them uh, in April, and now I'm going to be doing a thing together, a little thing. Can't say too much about it yet, but we're going to be doing something. Going to get them over here, so they're going to sort of co 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 uh, co headliner tour with us. So, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I don't think that there's any place for competition in music or creativity. Exactly. Really. It, so, yeah. Those those magazines and those articles going like the best guitar player is like what? No, there's no best guitar player. What do you mean best guitar player? The best guitar player is every one of them because everyone has a different style. What the hell? Yeah. Um, what is? I mean, best is very subjective, isn't it? So. Exactly. Yeah. So, basically, do you have any sort of, like, idea or anything in the making for a possible European tour? Um, well, we've got some dates to announce soon with Better Witches, but, um, we can, again, we can't really say too much. I can't remember what's been announced and what hasn't, you know, so I, I prefer to just say I don't know. But if you have to check out... Uh, keep your eyes peeled, like on Heaven Psych Sounds, uh, our label's uh, page. They'll be announcing some stuff soon in Europe. Um, and um, we'll be announcing some stuff on our page soon as well. Uh, yeah, we should be announcing it very nice soon. We just have to wait for the go ahead. So, yeah, um, we're really looking forward to sort of like stretching out into Europe. And, uh, you know, it's very difficult because we all work. So sometimes it's difficult to get enough time off. Uh, to do the shows that we want to, but and tours especially, but we'll make it work and we'll do it. So where there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. <laughs> so another thing is, do you guys work as a choice or is it like a necessity? This is more of a personal question. So if you don't want to answer that, that's that's okay. That's fine. I think it's a mixture. So you know, I have my own career. I, I I do. I have I have recognized that in order for me to be truly happy or content content with myself, I I must sort of split my time equally between music and healthcare. If it ever came to the you know, um, if it ever came to it that uh, I I sort of had to take a break from my healthcare, my health, my my profession, um, I could uh, to focus on music if it ever came to that. But I think that say for example. The other, I think the others would always. I think Ollie definitely, definitely wants to make music his full-time thing, and he's doing really, really well with that. He's been such a fantastic, you know, contribution to um, our scene, and he's doing great things with music. Uh, he, you know, he has his job, but it's necessity. But he will de definitely, I think, someday soon, he will be doing it full-time. Um, and then there's Carl, you know, who he has his career as well. Like it's a, it's a career, so music is always going to be a side thing. So. Yeah, it's a mixture. Um, for me, I can take a break. Ollie, he wants to make it full time. Carl, it's always going to be a side thing. Mark, I, I think you know it's going to be it's, it's it's his main passion, and he just has a job because he likes the routine. So yeah. <laughs> right, because you're the first musician that I have here on the podcast, and I would like to say and have you back it up that. The life of a musician is not all glamour and, and all fancy no. things and hotels and things that people think. No, it's really it tough. <laughs> it can be tough, but it's worth it. Absolutely, yes. But it's, it's. I mean, from eating cold chicken, eating sometimes cold food, because the venues don't oh. really prepare anything... Sometimes yeah. not even getting paid. Yeah. Rough sleeping. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of it. You know, there's there's yeah, there's sleeping in vans, or there's you know not getting enough sleep, and there's lots of long long travels, and there's lots of service stations, and there's lots of shit food, and there's lots of like not getting paid enough or or, or at all, or you know fans who are, who are you know I don't know just you know not not really true fans or but you don't get much of that. I mean we've got we've got amazing fans, but you know you're always going to get some you know people online like making it difficult where you put out a record that you poured your heart and soul into and then they're like, oh, I don't really like it. And it's like, well, that's fine. You don't have to, but you, do, you don't really need to announce that you don't like something. Exactly. You know, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like on our, on our, you know, uh, Stoned Meadow of Doom, like, you know, shared our album on their channel on YouTube and someone said, I just don't really dig chick singers. And I just said, neither wow. do I. <laughs> you know, it's like, if you don't like being a female vocalist and don't listen to it, but you don't need to announce it to the world. But, you know, the internet makes everyone think or makes... Some people think that their opinions need to be heard, and it's like opinions like assholes. Everyone has one, but you know, yes. you don't need to fucking show it all the time. You don't need to flash your asshole all the time. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So you know, we've got to take it with a pinch of salt. You know, the things that we go through to make sure that everyone has a great time. You know, the lack of sleep, or the lack of food, or the lack of money, or the lack of anything. You know, just to make sure we've got on a great show for everyone. We give so much. We give our all. You know, sometimes our sanity. You know, to, to this music to make sure we can kind of show the people that they've paid for and that they love and they've bought into. But you know, you've got to understand the sacrifices that we make, and sometimes not seeing our friends and family as well, or not having it. The not even I, I haven't had a relationship for over a year because I've been focusing on stuff like you know music and stuff. So I sacrificed that, you know, but I'm happy to do that. But you've got to take all of that into consideration when you support an artist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But that was an interesting thing you touched there because um, some guy, another musician, he plays mostly uh, like male from here from Portugal, and he, he posted something because of Game of Thrones and whatnot. Uh, and he said that now because of the internet, everybody's a screenwriter. Everybody's a, a, oh, a scriptwriter yeah. and stuff like that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's true. Everybody thinks there's something now. Like, what? Yeah, we also have the, um, the 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 curse of the reviewer. So anyone can review an album or review a gig, and they don't. I mean, I know how to sort of write semi-professionally. I used to be a reviewer myself, and I know how to write in a way that's uh, non-biased and informative, and not just like opinions and mm -hmm. like I don't know, just like really unprofessional. There's a lot of unprofessional writing out there. And I'm all, I'm absolutely in support of people practicing by, you know, do, being a reviewer for no pay, no pay whatsoever. So they review these albums and it gets it goes on the, on a on a website and then our label picks up on it, the PR company picks up on it, and they're like, oh hey, you've been reviewed. Oh, they're saying stuff that really doesn't matter. But it's just them exercising their ability to write, and it's fine. Practice on us. I don't really care. But the problem comes when other people reading that think that it is a professional writer writing, and they take that for gospel. And they think, and then it does it reflects badly on us as artists who have spent a long time perfecting what we do, or you know, honing what we do. And then you've got some some fan, Iron Maiden fan, writing that you know we're shit. You know, and nothing against Iron Maiden, and nothing against someone telling us that we're shit. But back it up, like you know, is it just your opinion, or is it backed up with actual evidence? And there's, there's there is that curse of the reviewer. Yeah. Uh, culture but that's come with the internet. Any old person can write a review, um, but it's when other people take what you say seriously and that it can impact negatively on our uh, our uh, professional reputation that it becomes an issue. Absolutely. So <laughs> let's move on a little bit because as I like to do here on the podcast, I like to start with talking about the, the, the guests and their work. And I like to move on to general conversation a little bit for like the, the second sure. half. So, uh, again, let's go back into the anxiety. So explain to me a little bit what kind of anxiety do you have? Because as I said, I have social anxiety, so I, I'm not too sure on what uh, existential uh, anxiety is. So if you're if you're okay with that, then by all means. Yeah, um, I can explain that. I mean, it's it's kind of a phrase. I don't know whether anyone's ever coined the phrase before, but I'm sure they have. So existentialism is uh, is a great school of thought. Like, I love existentialism. I think it's brilliant to be very aware of the absurdity of life. 
uh, and realise that nothing really matters. I think it's fantastic to keep you grounded, but when existentialism is teamed with anxiety, you suddenly become very aware of the absurdity of life, and you suddenly think, well, what is the fucking point of me even trying, because this is really hard, because I'm full of anxiety, and I just don't enjoy existing. So my existence might not mean anything, but if my existence means nothing, then why not just end it now? Like, So it's very, existential anxiety is not just anxiety, it leads to a really dark place, and it can lead to crippling suicidal ideation a lot of the time, and it, and it, it is whenever I experience it. It's a whole 24-hour thing. You know, I've missed band rehearsals. I've even missed gigs because of it. I've missed things. I've missed seeing, you know, I've missed a lot of stuff of life because of being absolutely pinned to my bed, like, by this crippling existential anxiety. And then it just leads to doing absolutely nothing. And then at the end of the night, I'm suicidal, basically. So it's not very nice. Then I sleep, and I'm absolutely fine. It's like I'm completely fine the next day. So it's, it is really hard. Like, existential anxiety is something pretty, pretty, you know, it's pretty, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heavy weight form of anxiety. Um, I wouldn't really wish it on anyone, but, you know, it is what it is. That is heavy. Wow. I mean, oof. Uh, my anxiety prevents me from conversating with people and doing sure. some kinds of work and from performing decently at a job interview. But, I mean, from... Questioning my existence, it doesn't really do that. Um, yeah, that's why I call it existential anxiety. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, wow. I have no idea what to ask next because of that. <laughs> because, I mean, I don't want to go too deep and uh, I don't want to get too personal. Um, but it is, yeah, it's interesting how life sort of develops itself. It's It's... You have people who are so oblivious and ignorant about life and they don't question anything. And then here we are questioning every single move, every single thing we do. And in your case, even if our existence is anything, you know, worth going through. It's, well, it's, it's not, <laughs> but that's fine. That's great. Uh, there's actually a song that I posted on my Facebook, the last one, the last video. It's a Portuguese band, and it says, I'm going to try to roughly translate here. Uh, if a voice tells us that living is in vain, then why the hell did I make this song? If the, e if the ending is certain, I want to be here tomorrow. This is just roughly translated. Yeah, and that's good. I, I, I like had that. to post it because it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, you can look at it two ways. You know, I've got it as my um, WhatsApp, like, <laughs> little bio, whatever. It's something like, life is a spectacular charade. Um, you know, existence is meaningless. Um, nothing really matters. How fabulous. So you can look at it as a great thing, but none of, actually, really, what we, who we are, what we do, it really matters, but... You know, coming, coupling it with nihilism, you can then look at it and go, well, if it, if it doesn't really matter, if there's no judgment day, if there's no, there's no end, like end, the end is the end, then why don't I just be a great, a good person, be kind, be non-judgmental, and, and do what I love? Because none of it really matters. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, whether you get a, a fucking, if you buy a house, and you buy a car, and you buy a big TV, and you, you climb up the career ladder. None of it matters. What matters is that you're living your life truthfully, honestly, mm -hmm. genuinely, and true to yourself as well as others around you, and you're being um, supportive, loving, kind, compassionate, empathic, empathetic, and and living true to yourself. That's what really, really, really does matter. None of everything else that society tells us matters, like having a car, having a house, having a career, it doesn't matter. So that's a great thing, but then you can look at it from the flip side. If it doesn't matter, then why the fuck should I try it? Why should I bother? I don't really want to be here if it doesn't matter, if I'm not living for anything other than just existing. Well, why not? Why not, though? Yeah. But there's two sides to it. It depends on your frame of mind as to how you, you know, read that, I mean, perceive that. I, many times, I question my existence as well because I don't like the, sort of like, where the world is going. I don't like our... No, me neither our dependency on technology, how much we care about little things that fall on the ground and with one fall they break forever. 
and there's no more fixing it. And we are getting so attached to these things and it doesn't matter. Like, why don't we focus more on nature, on going outside, on talking to each other face to face? Like, I don't know. I think it's the comfortability of being in front of a monitor and no one being there to judge us, basically, you know? I agree with what you say about, um, you know, our fixation on technology and also sort of social media and the way that we appear to others as well, and you know, all, all via technology. But um, I, I, I have found in terms of like improving my mental health and also how, how I am with other people, um, I've simplified life. So I'm not really materialistic. I minimalize what I have. I simplify life and I appreciate small things. So something like uh, called mindfulness really helps you to um, appreciate the nature, the, the simple things, being finding joy in the, the simple things that are really truly there and not stuff that's not really there, like technology and, you know, like, yeah, the how many likes your photo gets and, you know, how many people like you or whatever, you know, what really matters is. You're alive, you're breathing, you're well, you've got a roof over your head, you've got food to eat, you, you have clean, you know, access to clean water and things like that, and you, you have the freedom to enjoy your life. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, but see, we know that, right? And we are basically immune to that. However, the problem that I have is the younger generations don't. The younger generations are being victims of a huge lack of creativity, originality, and everybody yeah. is following, or following rather, their Twitter yeah, idols, of, their YouTubers, and it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's our, then it's our responsibility as people who are um, aware and awake to these things. To, we are all teachers and we are all students. We can, everyone can be taught and everyone can teach. So it's kind of, we can take it as our responsibility to guide the younger generation in the right direction. All is not lost. Basically. Absolutely. And there is a case, for example, I like to go against pedophilia and there was a case not too long ago, for example, of an 11-year-old girl conversating on their phone with a guy a pedophile asking them for things and the mother was completely oblivious as to this was happening and I, my question is why is this mother giving an 11 year old a phone without any sort of supervision and parental control whatsoever hello and that's, this is a problem we've got like almost like children who are raising children you know we've got people who oh shit i'm in a tunnel again um so yeah i was meant to be at home i'm sorry for this no problem. So, um, yeah, so we do have a problem of uh, multiple generations of children being raised by people who are not really equipped to raise children properly. Like, I think the last generation might have been two generations ago, so not even my mother, but my mother's mother, who were more traditional in their views. Um, I'm not saying that's the way forward, I'm just saying that um, when you have, I mean, actually, even my mother, you know, didn't really have all the tools to say properly raise me, so to speak. Like, because I mean, I'm not going against her. I think my mother's great, but you know, she, through no fault of her own, you know, struggled with certain aspects of motherhood, and it's, it was fine. It was, it's fine. I've come out fine. I've turned out all right. So is my brother. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, yeah, she she had her own struggles. Um, but I think that's that's the issue we have. We have young women who are raising children, and they don't, they don't really know what to do to do it successfully and so then you have that's what i mean children raising children and relationships are so fake nowadays as well i mean yeah dudes are going into a relationship just to have a a little fuck excuse my french and then they impregnate women and then eh, bye bye i don't i don't want to deal with you anymore it's like what the hell are you doing man there is that issue as well where you haven't got strong father figures either um, exactly. Luckily, I, I do have that, so I'm lucky for the strong father figure. But um, I'm thankful, I should say. But yeah, you do have that as well. The the, the breakdown of sort of core uh, values in relationships, romantic or otherwise, you know, that has a, a knock-on effect to uh, how you know the younger generations turn out. Do you think social media is is causing this mostly? Social media is 
I don't think it's causing like that in particular, but I think it's enabling um, a breakdown of between relationships. And yeah, I mean, dating culture has changed. You've got Tinder and such, and I never, I've never really used them. Uh, I, you know, maybe use dating sites, but like, yeah, I don't really get on with them. But yeah, we've lost our, we've lost the ability to build sort of strong connections with people. I think, like, not completely, because there was still the, you know, I'm very thankful for a strong male community in 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 London and and beyond, in our country. Um, I'm thankful for those strong connections that we do have face to face. Um, but unfortunately, that's not the case for a lot of people. They do rely on like socialising via the internet, um, which is sad. Um, so yeah, social media hasn't really helped the cause at all. It's made, yeah, it's there are some plus points, but there's a lot of negatives. I think the internet is a curse and a gift that appeared because it allows for me to do this. I mean, you're there on your phone doing your chores, and I'm here sitting home, and that we're recording a podcast. I mean. Ten yeah. years ago, nobody would possibly, even ten years ago, nobody would think this would be possible. But yet here we, yeah. here we are. But it's very negative because it brings, again, like we mentioned before, it brings the possibility of people who have no idea what they're doing, completely oblivious and ignorant on many, many subjects, to basically have a platform. And that's yeah, menacing. Mm. It's good, but it's also bad. Like there's, there's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've got, to, we've got to start somewhere. We've got to learn, but we've got to think about the impact of our words and our actions on the internet. You know, exactly. as well as in real life. Because many times, for example, you've had people uh, like, you know, practicing guitar or even in a band, and they play together. And when they see, okay, now we're ready to go on stage, and here we go. Nowadays, maybe you have a kid who just grabs a guitar and plays really horribly, and then maybe three years later, their video becomes viral, and everybody laughs at the kid, and now actually the kid is good at the guitar, three years later. Yeah. But now nobody is going to look at the kid for being good at the guitar. They want to see the kid because he was terrible at that particular time <laughs> yeah, it's like what? I mean god damn let's help people that's why I like to do the okay. podcast basically Sorry. that's why I like to do this podcast I want to raise awareness and, and hopefully improve the world in a way because like people are so oblivious in so many things nowadays they are but we have to also remember going back just a little bit to your point about how we enjoy laughing at people mm -hmm. I mean You know, there are whole TV shows based on this premise of let's laugh at, oh no, I'm in another tunnel. point was um, that, you know, it's part of human nature. Um, it's very much steeped in human nature to um, laugh at other people's misfortune or inability to do things to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And it's really cruel, and we should be lifting each other up rather than putting each other down. But Absolutely. it's a source of it's a source of entertainment, and it's also a source of very um, fragile uh, way of boosting one's um, uh, self worth by looking at someone else and going, "Well, at least my life isn't that shit." Or you know, like Jeremy Kyle, but that's you know, thankfully been taken off TV now, where we would laugh at other people's misfortunes and go, "At least I'm not that you know poor or." you know, stupid, or at least I'm not that shit guitar, or at least I'm better. You know, it's a really, it's a very negative way of boosting your own self-esteem, and it's not, it's very futile, it doesn't, it's not strong, it's not a very good source of boosting one's self-esteem, because you end up just feeling shit about it, because you've just laughed at somebody for trying. You know, we've all got to start somewhere, and unfortunately we all suffer at the hands of, not all, but a lot of us suffer at the hands of poverty or just struggles in general with our emotions or whatever. We all also have to be shit at singing or playing guitar or drums or whatever to be good eventually. Exactly. So. And, well, sometimes on TV, a lot of those people actually sign like, a, you know, sort of a, an agreement to say, hey, you can put this on TV even though it's me and stuff like that. The problem with the internet yeah. is people are not necessarily required to sign anything. It just shows up on the internet without their consent whatsoever. And then there, there, there's a bunch of people. Do you remember the Techno Viking deal? The video? 
Like a shirtless um, guy so. looks like a Viking going through the streets of Germany and he's just like dancing around, a camera following him. So this guy actually, the, 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 the guy in the video actually sued the cameraman for putting the video on the internet because he didn't want to be, you know, recognized by everybody. He became a meme on the internet and, well... He sued the guy well, because he didn't want to become a meme. Fair enough. Did it work? <laughs> yes, it did. The guy had to pay a lot of money. Good. <laughs> so, you know, you can fight against these people that are trying to uh, belittle you and uh, turn you into a joke, you know, because our lives are for ourselves to... We we decide, we are controllers of our fate in, in to, to a certain degree. We We have... We are the beholders of our own fate in a way, but we ha we should have the choice and the freedom and autonomy to uh, decide how we are viewed in the wider world. On one hand, what people think of you, it doesn't really matter. And I always say what people think of you is none of your business um, because I don't give a fuck. Like, if you like me, well, let's be friends. If you don't, let's not be friends. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. If you like my music, cool, listen to it, enjoy it, come to a gig, say hello. If you don't mind, you don't have to indulge in it. There's something for everyone. It's all subjective. And human beings and whether we're liked or not is also subjective massively. But when it comes to the point where, yeah, you're misrepresented or represented in a way you don't want to be online, you have every right to speak up and say no. <laughs> I'm going to Absolutely. see your eyes. If someone put, you know, I mean... Yeah, there's like, you know, I do I do a bit of modeling and some of it is a little bit, you know, not suitable for work, but you know, it doesn't end up, it ends up in certain places on the internet and I know that and that's fine. And if it came out, if, you know, in I don't think it would take long for someone to dig up pictures of me, of me, of me in my underwear or whatever, or even less, you know, on the internet. But, you know, it, I don't give a, I don't care. Like, I do it, and I know the consequences of my actions, and I, that's me being wanting to be represented in the way that I want to be. So if you then post a story about dead witches and there's a, you know, a, a whatever photo of me not wearing a lot, and they're trying to, like, I don't know, defame me or something, like, you know, with the fact that I just do that modelling, it's not going to work because I will be like, yeah, why are you trying to shame me for having a body? My body, my rules. You know, my life, my rules. You know, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, and I don't with it, then there's no problem. So don't try and shame me for doing something that's maybe, like, socially unacceptable or whatever, whatever. Or has social connotations of, you know, oh, you must be a bit of a whore or something. I don't know. I don't give a heck. I don't give a fuck. It's not for you to comment. It's my life. So I agree with the guy, you know, not wanting to be represented in that way. You know, it's up to him. If he didn't want to be represented like that, and fine, sue them. I'm happy to be, I represent myself in the way that I want to be. And if exactly. anyone tries to make me feel bad about that, then they can go, they can go screw themselves. Those are the key words. If you are going to share something on the internet, know that you're sharing it on the internet and know the consequences of it, which is probably, you know, some guy on your Facebook list. If I was a pervert, I could go on your Facebook. Oh, look, she's got like a bra on only. Like, oh. Yeah, they're not really. They're not really on my Facebook or social media. I put like I don't really put them there because I put they're on like modeling and and photographer portfolio sites where it's only models and photographers that use those sites and have access to them. But if all you have to do is make a free profile, get the photos, screenshot them, put them on social media. That's, exactly. You know, someone could someone could do that. But yeah, as you say, I know the consequences of doing that. That people might have the might misinterpret me as a whatever, whatever they want to call me. Um, yeah. If they say, you know, but I don't give a hell. I don't give a hell. I don't give. I don't care. Um, you like me or you don't, or if you, whatever opinion you may have of me is none of my business. <laughs> There you go. With those wise words. Uh, I'm going to say thank you so much, Susie, for joining me for my podcast. And I hope you had a good time. It was it was yeah, an interesting good. interview or conversation. I hate doing interviews. Uh, it was a conversation. Um, yeah. So thank you thank so you. much for joining me. And uh, you have anything you want to promote, anything you want to say, by all means, go ahead.
Um, well, I mean, I've already spoken about Sadlan going into the studio. We have our own T-shirt. It will be available online soon. Our first T-shirt ever. They're selling really quick, though, so I would recommend if you're in London, come down to a show. Um, 7th of June at the Unicorn is our next one. That's with the amazing um, Gorilla, who are also on set Heavy Psych Sounds. Uh, Gorilla are awesome. Uh, Jevaudan um, from out of London. They're super, really cool, like douche. And um, we've got Wretched Toad, who are a bit more probably doing. Uh, so it's a really good lineup, really cheap entry, and really cheap drinks at the bar. So come along to that. Um, get a t shirt, come and say hi, get a shot. Um, Dead Witches will be playing the End of the World Festival on the seventh of July. No, sorry, sixth of July in Plymouth. If you're down on the coast in Devon, um, we're going to be headlining that on one of the two stages, along with Elephant Tree, who are awesome. Um, we are going to be. We're in the middle of. Uh, I'm actually going to Bournemouth to meet with Dead Witches tomorrow. We're going to be writing our next album. We're going to get another one out really, really soon, hopefully. Uh, we are also going to be part of the Best of Black Sabbath Redux, which is um, going to be coming out under Magnetic Eye Records, so we're going to be doing a song for that. I don't think I can say which one yet, but it's awesome. It's a great Black Sabbath song, one of my favourites. Um, we've got plenty of other shows coming up as well. We're playing Doom Be Stoner um, Festival, which is a hard rock hell uh, festival, um, Hard Rock Hell affiliate festival, sorry, Hard Rock Hell Festival, Doom Feast Donor. Uh, end of September, we're playing on the 29th of September uh, on the main stage, yeah, that's in Sheffield. There's loads coming up, so if you just go to our social media yeah, accounts, you can find out more, but those are the main things coming up, uh, as well as some stuff, really cool stuff to announce. So, and yes, yeah, I plan in the studio, end of June. Oh, album should be out by the end of the year. There you have it, folks. So, go check out Dead Witches, Go check Susie for her work as well. Thank you again so much for joining me. And I won't take any more of your time. And I hope the best, of, I wish you the best of luck with uh, Satland and Dead Witches. You don't need any luck. And there you have it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Have a great day. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.